0: I want to start today with a question that's often used kind of in a skeptical complaining sort of way but I really mean it like at face value. I just want to ask the question broadly. What's the point? Right? Like what's the point of of everything with God? What what's the point of God creating? Right? Why did he why did he do that? Why did he create the earth? And then why did he create us and put us on the earth? And then what's the point of not just creation, but of him then incessantly interacting with creation and, and coming into creation, into the story, and pursuing something? What's he after in that? And then record going to great pains throughout human history to record some of those moments of him breaking in and, and, and doing things. Well, what was he after? What was he, what was the point? What was the point of this? And then according to the Bible at just at a certain time in history, he ups the ante and he, and he comes personally, right? And he becomes one of us and he is reaching out to us just in his voice or a dream or through a prophet or he comes himself is the way the story goes. And, and and he's after something. Why? What's the point of all of this? So I finished last week's teaching with the answer to that question, and that's where I want to begin today, the Bible's answer to that. The point of it all is life. That's the word I find in scripture that answers the question of what God is doing, what he's about, what he's attempting, what he's What his point is in all of this that he's done? There might be other questions, but the the answer to the question, what's his point, is life. Life is the point. Life, getting more specific, is why Jesus is born. Life is why Jesus walked the earth and taught and called people to follow him. Life, ironically, is why he died. Life is why he was resurrected. It's why he called us and continues to call us to follow him and be his disciples. It's why he commissions us to go and invite others to follow him and make disciples of them. Is life. That's what he's after. That's his aim. The call of Scripture is discipleship. But the reason he calls us to discipleship, to following Jesus, is life. He's trying to deliver Life. John 10.10 is the verse that you hear me incessantly use. And where I start with anyone who wants to know about Jesus. This is where I start, John 10.10, where Jesus himself says, just as plainly and simply as I've heard him say it, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what he's about. And this point isn't just... In Jesus, You see it threaded from beginning to end of Scripture. It's all through there. If you go back to the beginning, and you should, it kind of orients us. That's why that creation story's in there, is to orient us to what it's all about. Early in the story, after he created everything, and then he created mankind, it says that God breathed into mankind, into men and women, the breath of life. It then... Put, says he puts them in some special garden that they can eat of any of the trees but there's one tree in particular that they have access to a special tree, it's called the tree of life and then you turn the page in chapter 3 they sin, they fall short And what happens? What did they introduce to their existence? Their otherwise pure existence at this point? They introduce the opposite of life. They introduce death. Specifically, we're told they get cut off from the tree of life. And it would be horrible if the story ended here. And for many people it does. It ends right there. That's how they're living their life. That's the narrative that they are living under. Whether they know it or not. And but it doesn't end there, and this is way oversimplifying, but the whole rest of the Old Testament can be seen as God intervening, trying to help people recover life, and people trying to recover life, trying to respond to that, trying to get that back. It explains everything every human being does. Is this inner, it's in our hearts. We want life. It explains why we do everything. Even the bad things we do, it's because we believe some promise that it's going to improve something about the quality of our life. It, but we kept failing until until a certain point in the story, that point where God up the ante, as if he had designed it all to culminate in this moment in history. Jesus comes. And in Luke 19, there's another way that Jesus is recorded as saying why he came. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Well, in the story, what was lost? What was lost, we have to ask. It was life. It was that life that he had designed human beings for. Intimacy with God, perfect intimacy with God, perfect intimacy with their fellow man. There was no shame. There wasn't even the concept of what self-esteem was. It was it was abundant, full life. And the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's got a little summary, a brief summary of everything up to this point from Adam to, to Jesus. He says in chapter 15, he says, The first man, Adam, became a living being, The last Adam, that's just code for Jesus, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So that's Jesus' point. He's a life-giver. That's why he came. It's all through Scripture. And if you turn to the end, just to give you this brief synopsis of this thread throughout Scripture and Revelation, John sees that scene you know, the, the veil is unveiled. He sees whatever this ending is going to look like, whatever eternity is going to look like, and he sees Jesus say this, Blessed are those who have washed their robes. Those are, that's those who have decided to follow Jesus, immerse their life in Jesus. Blessed are those who have washed their robes, robes that they might have the right to the tree of life. <laughs> I mean... This thing was written thousands of years later and there's this continuous story from beginning to end. That was lost and that's what's going to be regained. Life. Life is the point. So you're called to follow Jesus. That's what I've been talking about the last two weeks, especially last week. To life in, with, and like Jesus Christ. But that is the mission that is the call of God. That's what he's after for you. That's what he's inviting you to. Because he knows that is the way to accomplish his point, And that's life. Life for you. And I've told you there's two kinds in scripture. The eternal kind that will last forever. That steals the sting of death. Which we need. We need this, the sting of death stolen. But also abundant life. Full life Now. In circumstances that are not ideal, that are difficult, that can break in now. Life is the point. So I've entitled, entitled, entitled today's lesson, and this is the third session of our starting point class that I'm basing this series on that's designed for our guests to know what we're about and what's behind what we do, our theology, our practice. This session of starting point today's sermon is called Our Environments. And the reason it's called Our Environments is because I want to get a little more specific about what we're trying to accomplish when we do things together, okay? But also because life, Scripture teaches that life demands a certain environment for it to be ideal, right? We want to make disciples, but the minute the leadership started studying what a disciple is, We instantly and naturally went to okay. So, what environment is the best possible environment to take a human being and put them in it? And they are more likely to find success in spiritual growth and thriving. They're more likely to find life. So, we find in scripture that a certain environment is more ideal than others for people to grow and experience this life. What is that environment? Incidentally, we have embedded in creation that God created. We have embedded in it this same message, that physical life is best maintained and sustained in a certain environment. I've told you all this before, but I, I can't remember where I heard it. I think it was in a high school class or something, but that life can be fragile. The environment for life can be fragile. That if our earth was like in orbit around the sun, just a mile closer, we'd burn up, nothing could live. If it was a mile farther away, we'd freeze, nothing could live. We need a certain environment. And another example I use, we have right in our building, by the children's wing, we have that aquarium Right? Like that aquarium is maintained. A certain environment is maintained. All different environmental factors temperature, how much food, not too much, not too little, what, what uh, oxygenation of the water, cleanliness in there, even what the other fish are that are interacting, all have factors in the ability for those fish to live and at least the quality of life and how long they live. As a matter of fact, I don't know if y'all remember when we froze everything broke down and we froze just one environmental factor they still had enough food they still had the right mix of fish they still oxygenated but they plug our kids ears they died because it was too cold so in physical world what's true in, for physical life is also true for spiritual life to have a vibrant life spiritual life in and like christ we need a certain environment. So, what we did as a leadership, after we kind of had a, our minds set and our hearts adjusted to what is a disciple, we then asked, what's the best environment for a person to become that? What's the best environment? So, after looking at the Bible, at Jesus, for a description of a discipled person, we naturally went to the Bible, to Jesus to see what kind of environment he created. I've got a whole notebook, just a whole notebook that I spent on this where I went through the Gospels again looking for the environmental factors that Jesus seemed to maintain for his disciples so that they could grow. An increase in their christ likeness, and then I went through the book of Acts, and then I went through the whole, all the letters in the New Testament, looking for the qualities, the environmental qualities that were being elevated by those writers, those authors of those Bibles uh, of those books in the Bible, to see what the environmental factors that are optimum for this. and I did a series on this after that discipleship series, we did a like an eight or nine week series on these environmental things, so you can look that up. As well, But I've got that whole three-wing binder, but I won't share all that with you. I'll just give you this much. Which, if you were in our class, I would give you this verse, this, this chapter, or these five verses, and we would do this as a Bible study together. That's better. I'm just going to have to run through it with you here. So we would read Acts 2, in, starting in verse 42, about five or six verses. Now, what we have here is Luke... Luke is observing, the, this is the first description we have in Scripture of the first church. All right, this is, you know, we've got the disciples in that environment. You it, it kind of, you see it in this one as well. What they had is, is had here. But this is after Jesus died, he rose again. He had one more word with his apostles, then he's ascended, then the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preached the first gospel message. Thousands come to Christ, and this pops up among them. This is the environment. So if we were in class, I would have you read this verse at your table and ask the question, what environmental elements do you see? Just like if I asked you to go to that aquarium, what environmental elements do you see that is, seems like it's optimum for the life of that fish? What environmental elements do you see that Luke noted, inspired by the Holy Spirit to note? There's so much more, but we'll just look at this one, and I think you'll get a sense of how we operate here. So it's in Acts 2. It says this They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So after you would read that and and do a little study for yourself, I just have us brainstorm on the whiteboard and, and we come up with, you know, 15, 20, 25 different environmental elements that we see here. And, and it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good taste cast, t- test case for, for all of what you'd find. There's just so much more, I'm really cheating you. But what we see here, let me just run through a few things we see here. So we see, first of all, that they were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So after they became Christians, after they decided to follow Jesus. Luke noticed they, de- they immersed themselves in the apostles' teaching, right? And what were the apostles teaching? We know what they were teaching. They were teaching Jesus. They were teaching everything about Jesus. And so this was an environmental element. They were learning. This was a learning community. And then we see they were also devoted to the fellowship. A little bit later, that's echoed when it says all the believers were together. And then persistence was there. They continued to meet together in the temple courts and in their homes, which just for free here, we like thinking, when we think of this first description, they met together. We like to see it as a large group in the temple courts and then in small groups, more intimate groups in the home. You know, you can kind of just see that there. That's just for free. But an environmental thing that Luke noticed here is that this was not a solo job. This was done together with like-minded people. They needed each other. And then it goes on. It says that they were devoted to, to, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says that they were praising God, right? So those things are like giving God attention. The breaking of bread, that could mean they ate together, but it literally says they ate together later, which I'm so glad. Potlucks are biblical, Right, it's, it's part of the environment that we're mandated by Scripture to have. It's eating together. But some scholars say this is what we just did, where we remember Christ, breaking of bread. So it's, if, whether it is or not, we still, they, they remembered Christ. They prayed to God. They praised God. They were attentive to God. They worshiped him. We use the word adored. There's adoring atmosphere here. They adored God. And that wasn't just a description of them. That was an action that they did. And then you see another spot where it says that selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Isn't that interesting? It says in another spot in there that they had all things in common. So this was a giving community, a a sacrificial community. This was a serving community. They served. We see that's an environmental element of this first description of the first church. And then finally, the last verse in this little segment says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, which means that this wasn't TikTok games locked. It's just us. You know, it's an inclusive group. It's an inviting group. They made room for other people who needed Jesus, which we all know that's everyone when it's properly understood. So at Southwest, we believe this I use I use my fingers to kind of remember that we're a serving community Like an atmosphere of transformation, an atmosphere of love, a healthy disciple-making atmosphere. Serves, right? It's a serving community. It adores God, gives God his due. It learns from God, right? We're receiving from him, and it's together. And I don't have more directional, so I just say an inviting. It's an inviting congregation. It's an inviting group. So we believe that that is what it is. And you can see we've got just our cheesy little acronym to remember this, SALTY that, that w- an atmosphere of transfer- These aren't the biblical words for this, but this is our shorthand for just remembering. This is kind of the holistic, healthy, environmental uh, situation we want to put people in, that we need to be in, and that we want to put people in so that we can grow to li- into life in Christ and life like Christ. So I hope, as you see what we're doing as a church here, that you'll notice that we're trying to put all of us in that kind of environment. And different activities that we do might emphasize one of these qualities over another, but we want all of them present in, in, in total so that we are all experiencing this ideal environment so that we can grow into Christ-likeness. And we want to co-create this kind of environment with you. That's the invitation. When we're in starting point, that's what we're inviting folks that are looking for a church home to jump into, to get involved in. So I hope this, I hope that little background, a little more theology, but getting a little more practical sets the stage for giving you a glimpse of how we organize ourselves. See, we organize ourselves around these things. These aren't just neat Bible studies we did. We then put them into our systems. We put them into our organism. We put them into our family. We're trying, perfectly no, but we know the target we're shooting after. Could we improve? Sure, sure we're always wanting to improve but i hope you can see how these efforts we are trying to shoot for this so um we like to see our so this is something that i do getting real practical in how we're organized as a church i think this will be healthy for some of you've who been here a long time okay so we like to see ourselves as a large group of a bunch of healthy small groups okay that's the ideal we sometimes miss, but that's what we're after, right? So this is a kind of an image of us in here. We want to be a church of, of small groups, not just a church with some small groups. We really, and that's why that was our vision for a season is we were really instigating that priority of getting people into intimate relationship with a few others for the purpose of discipleship, of care, of love, of being in each other's lives, support. So without leaving any of that priority. We've changed our vision statement for this next season, but this is still how we like to see ourselves. But, but even though it's ideal that everyone's in a small group, we don't think you get the full power of how we're organized if you're not in a small group. Okay, so that's, that's kind of how high a priority that is for us. But we are a church still, a large group of small groups. And so we put this circle around us. We sometimes affectionately call it the clover to kind of explain that, yes, we, we have our small groups, but we are connected intimately to each other as well. And we can share resources as a large group as well towards this disciple-making care and this full environment, this salty environment that we're trying to create. And so there's, there's five key areas that we prayerfully use to maintain this environment okay we hire somebody to go and make sure the environment of that that uh aquarium is good did you know that we we, that's how important it is you know we, we want it to be good so somebody's being attentive to that we're trying to be attentive to our environment for something way more important so this is how we do that so first of all one of these elements is small group development We put a lot of resources into our small group development. Three areas, kind of key result areas that you've either experienced or you know. We've got leadership training because we're always needing more and better small group leaders. Take note of that. You might be called to that. We need you. So leadership training. We've got small group resources. We've invested a lot. We've got a whole library. Online and offline resources to help small groups succeed. And then assimilation. Assimilation is a big part of our regroup every year, but we're doing this all year. This is just Finding a small group that fits you is hard, messy work, but we do it because it's worth it and we believe in it. And so it's tough, it's messy, it's fraught with danger, but we go about it. Because we think it's just that important. So that's one of the things we do. Another thing that we do uh, is called large group gatherings. That's another thing we emphasize. And we put those in two categories. The one that you are frequently exposed to is this weekly kind of call to the dinner table, family gathering, right? our weekly worship service, but we put any other special events that are large group in nature. They kind of fit under that as well. Like Tribe Retreat, we're inviting everyone to Tribe Retreat. That's also a large group event that serves some other functions that we have on here as well. So we've got our large group gatherings. We've got our small group development. Another thing is we call it intensive care. So this has four areas to it. uh, Benevolence, counseling, grief, grief ministry, and ministry to the sick. Okay, so so a lot of these four things, they happen, you would be amazed at how much they happen in the small groups. That a lot, our elders sometimes accidentally find out about it. Okay, but but when, and not if, but when a need in a small group community kind of outgrows what that small group can borrow on, praise God, we've got the larger church family to lean on, right? And so we will help, you know, now, We've had small group leaders do the funerals for their small groups. But if there's not someone in the small group that's feeling called to that or whatever, we will help. We will do grief ministry. Someone who's sick for an extended period of time. Small groups do the meals and visitation all the time. But, you know, when it's wearisome and hard or particularly difficult, you can share it with the larger group. So we do these things as well as a large group to maintain this salty environment. And then another one, I love this one. It's it, the title of it, it just, I like saying it. It's called Spiritual Family Formation. And it really covers a couple of things that are embedded in that statement spiritual formation and family, spiritual family, right? So that's what we're after. So here, uh, there's, there's a lot that's in here, but basically, we've got our Bible classes and our learning kind of agenda, that learning piece. That's in here. We've got intergenerational ministry that we're trying to create spiritual family. Not just spiritual groups that are all siloed up with just their age group or season of life. That's important. But we don't want to neglect the benefit of our intergenerational relationships. And then we do have those special groups of all different ages. But we particularly put resources on our young Children and youth. We put a lot of resources on that. We've got other ministries as well, but those all kind of fit in that spiritual family formation. And then the last piece we call accelerator events or fueling events. I could never decide which one I liked better, so I just always say them both. Accelerator events. These, this is a commitment to just providing for you opportunities, whether we run these events or we tell you events about events that are being run in the kingdom where we want you to take a time out from your life, your normal life, and go on the proverbial mountain with God and accelerate your discipleship. Spend some extended time with God in the area of prayer or in the area of learning. Go to a lectureship. Go to a retreat. Or just in in your own healing of your past story. Whatever it is, we always want to encourage people to go... Our idea would be everyone does it once a year because many of us, many of us can track the most meaningful moments and benchmarks and milestones in our spiritual life to some retreat. Our students and our youth, they get this. They embed it into their ministry all the time. We should never outgrow it. We should never outgrow it. We should keep doing it because that's so important. Okay, so this right here is kind of the, you know how that, at the mall, you've got the you are here map, right? Right? And it says, it gives you the big picture of how the mall is organized, and you're here, and that helps you get a picture of how you get started as you walk in the doors to get to where you want to go. That's kind of what this is serving for our new members, is, is, is how do you find your starting point? We'll talk more, a little bit about that next week, more specifically. But this is how we're organized. So I hope you see, we're not just theological. We're not just academically talking about what the Bible says. We want to put it into how we operate so you remember our mission southwest exists to make disciples of jesus christ through loving relationships with god and others well we can add this here right southwest exists and is organized to make disciples of jesus christ perfectly now we gotta learn all the time you know do we hit not hit the mark all the time it's true And we're adjusting things all the time, trying to get our aim better. But this is what's behind what we do. So everything that all of us in leadership do is to invite you to invest with us in a disciple-making environment for you, in a life-giving environment for you. Everything we do should be answered. That's our point. That's our point too, because it's God's point. So to that end, I chose right now to tell you what we're going to be doing next. So we've got one more week in this series, and then we hit February. And we are going to uh, invest in a series that is all about Jesus, believe it or not. I know that sounds so, so novel and so new. But we're going to take a few months to walk with Jesus through the book of Luke. Okay, so if that verse I told you about last week in Hebrews is true, where it says, the Hebrew author says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If Jesus truly is the author of this faith we're trying to grow in, if he's the one that perfects it and setting our eyes and our minds and our thoughts on him is key to growing up into Christlikeness, into life in and like Him, then that's what we want to do. You go to the Gospels. That's the most pure place to find Jesus is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to take one of those, Luke, and I'm excited about that because Luke, of all the Gospels, you know, it's four accounts of the same story, but Luke, what he says is that he did his research, he did his homework, and then he put together an orderly account of the life of Jesus from beginning to end. And so we're going to take a look at what... what what Luke came up with in his research. And we're going to walk with Jesus through the book of Luke. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, And I'm hopeful that just by you continuing doing what you're doing now and being with us, whether online or here, you hearing my study of Jesus helps you to live life in and like Christ. But as you know, as you know, it's much better when you engage Right when you engage Christ yourself. This is a way to engage, but there's there's more steps you can take. And so, I'd like to introduce you to a resource that would allow you to walk through the book of Luke, walk with Jesus through the book of Luke, right along with me. It's called Luke for Everyone. And it's by a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is, if you haven't heard of him, he's like pretty universally accepted as one of the top scholars of the New Testament that is alive today. And so he can, of course, he can be super headsy and academic in academic circles, but this one, I've already started it. He wrote this for everyone. So we get the benefit of all of his life of research and, and followership of Jesus written in a way that allows us to access that research. And so I want to invite you, if you're interested, you can go on Amazon or wherever, and you can get this book right here and do this personal discipleship right along with me, okay? Now, that that is another step that you could take. I hope just coming here will be useful, and I believe it will, okay? But this would up the ante. Now, one more resource that would up the ante even more. And N.T. Wright, he wrote a book, companion to this called Luke 26 studies for individuals and groups. So I think if you just want to do this individually and you go through, you can just get that one book and you can go through the text is even in the book. So it's your Bible and his notes and you can write it up. You're going to learn a ton, but if you would like him to lead you through that study, you can get this book. Okay. You can get this book and he'll lead you through that. And even more, if you would like to do this as a small group, You can get this book. It's designed for that as well, for individual or small group study. So I'm giving you some levels based on what you're called to and what you have time for of engagement with Christ. And I'm telling you, you will not regret this. You will not regret walking with Christ. He will, this is how he rubs through the skin. When he called those first 12 disciples, he did it for three reasons. Remember, the first reason was so that they might be with him. He knew how to make disciples. It's to get people with him. And so this is us getting with him. And I hope you'll get excited about this. So you remember our vision statement. I've been talking more about our mission statement, but we're always talking about our vision statement. And it is to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. And last year, after we unveiled this to you, we spent last year a lot on what it means to love first, right? Right? So this year, the vision team kind of decided maybe we should spend a little more time, dedicated time this year through this pulpit without leaving the love first agenda, obviously. We want to look at this becoming like Jesus peace, And so that's what we'll be doing. So I'm very excited about going through that with you starting after this next week. Let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and stand up and with your spouses and just move around the room. And if you're just needing a touch today of any kind, if you've got more questions about Jesus or about this church or about what it means to follow Jesus, that's what we do this for. If you, need a, if you just have something going on, you need some pastoral care, you need a prayer, you need an ear, that's why these folks do this. So we want to do that. So let me finish this. Whenever I finish this session of Starting Point, I always finish with this question. I want to ask it for you today. How does a person successfully connect to the southwest church family i want you to realize something visiting a church that's courageous maybe some of you've done it recently it's courageous to go into someone else's living room and wonder if you're going to connect and wonder if you're welcome and wonder i think it may happen we try to not let it happen but people can come in worship and leave and never be touched, you know? Never get that. And, and we all probably, it, it, it's difficult. It's courageous to walk into another church, okay? And then, once you do maybe feel like, maybe this is my place, it's work to connect with that church. Adoption in any family, just a simple family unit, is work. Adoption in the church family is also work. So this is an important question. How does someone... Successfully connect to the Southwest Church family? And what I say is the church needs to be inviting, inclusive. That's part of the environment that we need to have for our own discipleship. But beyond that, what does the person coming in need to do? And I always answer like this. I say a person deci- becomes a part of the Southwest Church family when they decide that they want to live out the Southwest mission and vision, and then they use our community resources to do that, think about it. If you're listening to this mission, you're listening to this vision, you're like, yep, I'm in. That's the call of the Bible, it's the call of God, that's what I want to be about. Then we're already pulling in the same direction. If you use this You Are Here map and start venturing into those, right? Start into getting into a small group, start going to a class, start getting in a support kind of situation we're in take advantage of our counseling come meet with a minister come meet with an elder maybe find a ministry where you can plug in when we start pulling in the same direction show up at tribe retreat that's being offered you start doing that connection starts happening that's how it happens it's messy it can be difficult but it's worth it it's worth it and so That's what we invite you to do. Will you? Will you put yourself in the atmosphere that will deliver to you, not not just eternal life, but fuller life, more abundant life right now? We want to invite you to come to that. It'll change you. It'll change you. The life of Christ will cost you everything. It will cost you everything, but it will deliver to you The best possible life available to a human being designed by God regardless of how difficult it is he wants to come into that so he wants to refine us in this life with him and like him so please if we can help you in any way let's stand and let's sing and you come